John chapter 17, verse 20. John chapter 17, verse 20. This is going to kind of set the context for our message this morning. Jesus is praying for all believers, and he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is such a sacred, sacred prayer in Scripture of Jesus praying for us, for the believers then and the believers now. And I think it's really important that we kind of sit in this prayer. We're talking about loving others well, and this right here, this sacred prayer where Jesus is praying to the Father, he lines it out for us so clearly what our mission is. He makes it so clear that our mission on this earth is that through the love that he has given us, that we are to love him and then we love others. And that as we love others, we become a tangible extension of God's love for the world. That we are the ones that bear witness to the name of Christ. We are the ones that bear witness to the unconditional love of Christ. There is such a sacredness in this, such a a weight that is present as we see what Jesus is praying here, that he prayed for us. It's, it's incredible. And I, you know, I, I, I kind of just like sit in that a little bit. I want us to sit in that because I think we, we talk a lot about love. We talk about a, lot, a lot about loving other people. And I just don't think it's as simple as we make it out to be. And if we were to truly be honest with ourselves in our day-to-day life, we would recognize that it's actually very hard to love others and to love others well. And we're going to talk about maybe why some of those reasons are, but the fact of the matter is is that God has us on a mission, that he could have chose anything or anyone to represent his love, to carry his mission of redemption across the world, but he chose us, imperfect, messy us. And so we're, gonna, we're just going to dive in this, and I want to look at another scripture passage. It's Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37, so you can kind of make your way to that. But I want to set up a little context for you and uh, talk about what's happening in this passage. You see, Jesus is in the process of his ministry. You know, he's, he's healing the sick. He's, uh, you know, setting people free. He's sharing principles of a way of life or principles of living, um, and he's establishing, you know, a sense of who he is, but he's slowly revealing and slowly establishing um, the heart of who he is, the power of him as Messiah, the the mission that he's on, the representation of the Father, um, revealing the Father so that all would come to belief and accept his love. And yet he's receiving a ton of questions from the religious and spiritual leaders. This is a theme that we see all throughout the gospel and all throughout the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus takes multiple opportunities to call out the religious behavior. And so in Matthew chapter 12, we see once again that Jesus is healing the sick and he's breaking some of the ceremonial laws to do this. And he's receiving backlash from the religious leaders. So he's just healed a person that uh, scripture says has been demon possessed. And in this healing of this person that's been demon-possessed, the religious leaders, instead of using this opportunity to celebrate the freedom that they're seeing this person now experience, the religious leaders take the opportunity to not only question Jesus, but accuse him of being evil himself, or accuse him of being demon-possessed, or even from Satan, is what scripture says. So Jesus 
again, addresses the religious leaders, and he confronts their assumptions about them. So he, say, he makes this statement in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37, that is pretty in your face, that really just cuts to the core the point of issue that he is regularly calling out. And so really what he's saying, is, what he's saying in, in all throughout the Gospels is he's really saying, I don't care how good you are. I'm not so much concerned about what group you identify with. He says, I don't, I don't really care about what you have or what you don't have. So if you're rich or if you're poor, I really am only concerned about your heart. And I'm really only concerned about your character. I don't care about how religious or spiritual you are or how many sacrifices that you make. I only care about how you treat others, how you love others, how you reveal my love to others. In Matthew chapter 12, let's read it. It says, he says, Jesus says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. In other words, what Jesus is saying is your fruit stinks. It's not good. Or in other words, what I would say is your fruit sucks. It's not good. Okay? So to the religious leaders, again, he's saying, I don't care about the ceremonial laws. I don't care about the sacrifices you make. I don't care what group you identify with. Your fruit stinks. And that is what the problem is. Commentators make note that the passage, obviously, is Jesus is calling out behavior. But he's specifically saying, I don't care, again, about the group you identify with. So I'm not, I don't care about the denomination you identify with. I don't care about the religious practices that you identify with. I don't care if you call yourself Christian. Because if your actions do not line up with that name Christian, then you're no part of me because your fruit stinks. Wow. Is it back in John, in, or in John 17, and Jesus says, then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me, my God. What a mission that is. What a responsibility that Jesus has set us up for. Then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you loved me. Dear God, help us bear the name of Jesus Christ. Dear God, help us be that extension of love that he's called us to be because we are the ones that are telling the story of Christ Jesus. We are the ones that on this earth in physical manifested presence are carrying the expression of the redemptive narrative of Christ Jesus. Dear God, help us carry it with humility and carry it with honor. Carry it with meekness. Carry it poor in spirit. Carry it seeking after righteousness. Caring and understanding what we actually carry. Because here today, I want to talk about loving others well. But the thing is, is that I can't get to talking about others love, loving others well because I know that there are those of us in this place, and there's even myself included, that couldn't love others well because I didn't understand the love of God. I could not extend that love and extend that compassion because I didn't even know how to receive that love and compassion for myself. Because if I'm sitting in shame and if I'm carrying guilt around and if I, I, I stand under the weight of that, then you better believe that when someone triggers me, I'm gonna project that shame and project that guilt upon somebody else project that judgment on somebody else. And most often, it's not even so much that I'm actually truly, genuinely, intentionally wanting to judge them. It's really that I just feel so weighted and so guilt, guilty and so full of shame myself that I just respond and react that way. So what I'm saying here today is that if our fruit is not going to stink, if Jesus is is going to be able to use us to be on mission with him if we are not going to be like the religious leaders. Because you see, I'm, I'm pretty much convinced after spending so much time in the gospels that the problem with the religious leaders was that they in fact were so full of shame and so 
bound by not being enough. That the religious leaders tried so hard to keep every law and every practice, but they knew they couldn't do it. And so what did they do? They projected it on other people around them. I don't know that the religious leaders were necessarily always intending to harm and to hurt and to abuse, but I think they carried around so much weight and so much shame of not being able to measure up to the standard that they had created for themselves. And so Jesus in his mercy and in his justice, because you can't have grace and mercy without justice, Jesus in his mercy, grace, and justice, he calls them out time and time again. Because what he's really wanting to do is he's wanting to show them that you think, and scripture says this, you think that you can see. You think that you have it right, but you are in fact very blind. And I've come to take the blinders off your eyes. And I've come to help you see me for who I really am am and who my father really is and what I've really come to do. I'm going to need to take those blinders off of your eyes. I'm going to need to remove the self-righteousness and I'm going to have to do it in a way that feels harsh and feels intense. But I need you to see that you are not representing my father well. And Jesus calls them out time and time again. You see, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, it outlines what the fruit of the Spirit is. It says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. See, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. You see, we have to see these fruits of patience and self-control and gentleness and goodness being developed in our life. It's not a call to perfection. It's not a call to having every day be a good day and not having a bad day. But it's this call to see a regular process, as we talk about here at Essence Place, of just transforming, of becoming more and more like Christ. And then when we have moments where we acknowledge that we aren't carrying those fruits, and we're not producing those fruits uh, well, that we intentionally stop and we reflect and we repent and we recenter and we reorient our direction and our path. That when we see that, you know what, I don't, really have a lot of self-control in my life right now. I don't really have a lot of patience in my, I mean, who has patience in this world? I mean, I struggle with patience all of the time. I don't have a lot of gentleness. I am, can you see right now? I am not the most gentle person, okay? I don't have a lot of goodness, maybe, or faithfulness, steadiness, But when we recognize and and see that that, that these things are not being developed or produced in our life on a regular basis, we're willing to stop and say, okay, what's going on here? Like the whole idea of like, let's look under the hood of the car. If we're not producing self-control, if we're not producing patience, if we're not producing gentleness, that's a warning light like on our car that says you need to look under the hood. There's something going on. It's not a warning light that says, okay, you just need to double down and work really hard to produce that patience. You know, joy is one of the fruit of the spirit. And I used to think, Dear God, I don't care how many times I wake up in the morning and choose joy. Just by the time it's 10 a.m., it's not working for me. How do I just choose joy? Well, you know what? It's because you don't just choose joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy comes bubbling up from deep within us, from the work that God is doing in our life as he sets us free. Joy then comes overflowing. We can try to choose joy all day long, but maybe we're just choosing happiness. I'm not sure if we're choosing joy because joy comes deep within from the transformation. So we acknowledge that there's stuff happening inside of us, and that is what the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series has all been about. It hasn't been about navel-gazing. It hasn't been about just, you know, dealing with our past and addressing those things and healing from our losses so that we can feel better. I mean, yes, that is one of the results, is that when we work through those things, we become more stable, we become, you know, more um, consistent in in our lives and our relationships, we may feel more peace, but it's not just for our sake. The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series and the idea of this discipleship and transformation of like going deep beneath the surface of our lives is not just for the sake of ourselves, it's for the sake of other people. It's so that we can learn to love others well, because again, we cannot love others well if we don't love ourselves, and we can't love others well if we don't receive God's love for us. So here's the thing. 
The degree to which we have a healthy view of self will be the degree to which we love others well. If we have an unhealthy view of self, we will struggle to love others well. We have to love ourselves. The Bible says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So again, the degree to which we have a healthy view of self will be the degree to which we love others well. You see, the degree to which we accept God's grace for us will be the degree to which we offer grace to others. If we can't accept God's grace for us, if we struggle to understand God's grace for us, we're going to struggle to offer grace to others. I'm entirely convinced that we cannot fully love others well if we have not received the love of Christ Jesus for ourselves. So the more that we acknowledge our brokenness and the more that we acknowledge our need and we find Christ's unconditional love through it, it puts us in this place, in this position where we are more able, we have this wider capacity to extend compassion and extend grace and extend love to those around us. I mean, if we can stare in the face of our own brokenness with humility to recognize our need of Christ Jesus, then when others are displaying their brokenness in front of us, well, we've received so much grace and so much mercy, we're more propelled to actually offer that same grace and that same mercy to others. But we have to receive God's grace. We have to recognize our need. And recognizing our need means laying down our pride. We've got to lay down our pride. We've got to recognize that we live in a very self-centered, self-focused world. And we operate in very self-centered and self-focused ways. We expect others to bend towards our will. We expect others to read our minds, and we expect others to fall in line with our expectations, whether we've communicated them or not. And I'm convinced that there are more broken views of God and God's love due to Christians who cannot seem to bear the fruit of the Spirit, even though they bear the name of Christ. Say that one more time. I am convinced, deeply convinced, that there are more broken views of God and God's love due to Christians who cannot seem to bear fruit, although they bear the name of Christ Jesus, because they call themselves Christians. I call myself a Christian, but I'm not bearing fruit. So basically what I'm doing to everybody that's around me is that I'm, I'm speaking a name of Christ, and I'm sharing a name of Christ that actually is not correct and is not true, because I called myself Christian. I called myself Christ follower I spoke the name of Christ. I used his name in my relationships. But if I'm full of greed and if I'm manipulating others and I'm full of pride and I can't recognize my own need and I act in harsh ways and I'm full of bias and I'm full of of all of this mess that just spews out to other people on a consistent basis, then I am creating a framework for Jesus Christ a framework for a view of God that is just absolutely incorrect and not according to scripture and not according to the truth of the character of God. So many of us in this room have a view of God that is based off of how others have treated you, the names that others have called you, the relationships with your families growing up. You grew up in a religious home and in a faith-filled home, But those relationships were so broken and so dysfunctional, it created a framework of God that is just not true. And this is what this Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series is. Again, not just so, I mean, we can sit, you guys know me, I mean, I'm going to school for counseling. You can sit across from a therapist all day long for years. But if Christ doesn't become the center of it to bridge the gap in all of that, to integrate that into the, the psychological work of becoming better because we need that peace. But if we don't integrate the peace of Christ and the truth of Christ into that, there's still going to be the most central peace missing. So today I want to give you four practices. I'm like, whoop. I want to give you four practices. I'm going to stay on track here. Four practices that um, we can develop. And again, the Emotionally Healthy um, Spirituality series is, is helping us, again, dig deep, um, but four practices that we can develop. And we did an Emotionally Healthy Relationships class. Um, 
it ended up being two Saturdays. I thought it was enough, it was material for one, um, one part, but we did, we're doing a two part. <laughs> we did a two part. Um, and so it was really good. We had about 12 to 13 um, that came in those, those two classes. And so um, some of this might be a little bit familiar with those that were there, um, but I'm going to kind of condense a lot of that and summarize some of what we talked about. But four practices, and the first one is we practice abiding. So again, if we, we must first receive God's grace and we must first recognize our need so that we can love others well and be that tangible presence of Christ and we practice abiding. We practice being in the presence of Christ. Though God's presence is with us always, but it takes our response on a regular basis to being in that presence. In John chapter 15, verses four through nine, it says, remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. You see, I'm the vine and you are the branches. So those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. So again, we can talk about Christianity, we can carry the name of Christian, we can even deal with all of our junk and all of our mess and, and, and address those past issues and heal from those wounds, but if we are not abiding and practicing the presence of God and being with God and digging into his word and praying and communing and being with God, then we're missing a piece, a really big and the most central piece, because apart from Christ. We can do nothing. Now, what does that look like? You know, for some of us, we have a, a, a spiritual practice kind of routine, and it works really well for us. And then for others of us, we have a spiritual practice smorgasbord, and we kind of like move and flow in and out of it. Do what works for you. I, I used to hate the whole like have you had your quiet time today? Like when you were a teenager, you know, and like the local youth group, they're like, you need to have your quiet time, you know, like have your devotion, your, your devotional time. And, and it didn't like the way that it was prescripted out for me did not work for me and the way that I was wired and the way that I was made. And I thank God that God has taught me how to move through spiritual practice in the way that he's made me and the way that he's wired me. So whatever that looks like for you, do that. If you're struggling with what that should look like for you, well, that's part of what we're talking about on Sunday mornings and we explore on Sunday mornings. And then you can go through the growth track and, and talk about different ways that you can do that. And then you can meet with your pastors and connect with them and we can give you suggestions and recommendations. You can pair up with someone here that maybe is a little further along and say, hey, can you mentor me? Can you coach me? Can you disciple me? That's how you discover what works for you. What doesn't work or what you won't, what, um, I'm sorry, how you won't discover what works for you is if you just sit idle and become isolated and you don't reach out and ask for help or you don't reach out or you don't pay attention on Sunday mornings when you do come or you're not consistently um, hearing and receiving ideas. Pick up a book, you know, listen to podcasts, find what works for you. And I can say the one of the greatest ways that you can do this is again, one-on-one. -on -one. Find someone that you really respect and admire and reach out and say, hey, can, we, can you walk with me through this? That's how we figure out the spiritual practice piece of what works for us. And then there's realizing that there are clear spiritual practices that are really important. Sabbath, we talked about that last week. We talked about this concept of daily office, of this idea of throughout your day, moments throughout your day, stopping and meditating on a scripture or meditating on an attribute of who God is and centering prayer and, and being present with that. You know, we talked about um, obviously scripture reading and being in God's word and studying God's word and prayer. All of those things are so important and, and necessary spiritual practice. Being in community with each other and with other believers. So question is, do I find belonging in Christ? Am I seeking to know him more? We're not going to abide and we're not going to remain in someone that we don't feel like we belong to. We're not going to feel motivated to remain in Christ if we don't feel like we belong with Christ. And we simply can't find it within ourselves and our own power to love others well. And so we need the power of Christ in us. So if that is a, a disconnect with us, of if we don't find our own belonging in Christ, then that's the first step. If you want to learn how to love others well this morning and you don't have a belonging in Christ, 
then your first step is to find belonging in Christ, to explore what that looks like, to, to accept what that looks like, to lay down, again, lay down pride that says, you know what? Maybe I am wrong. Maybe I actually don't have it all figured out. And maybe I actually do need something or someone bigger than myself. I'm not actually solely in charge of my own world and able to manage it all. I do need God. I am a mess and I need God. Maybe that is your very first step to loving others well, is just establishing a a pure, healthy belonging in Christ. You see, our belonging with Christ, Christ holds this supernatural element because the spirit of God, when we belong in Christ, that supernatural element is the spirit of God empowers us. It gives us what we need to grow in maturity, to grow in spiritual fruit, to grow in love because it is powerful and it is supernatural. It's both faith and works. Faith enables us to trust in God that through Christ in me, strongholds can be broken. I can overcome sin and harmful habits and I can love more holy. But there is a work part part of our faith and that says I will take steps to form practices that enable me to grow. I will set myself up for fruitfulness by growing in self-awareness, by growing in the knowledge of God's word and truth for my life and welcoming community into my life. It's a marriage of the two. It's faith and it's works. This series that we've been going through, it helps us recognize these broken homes that we've created for God to live in. And he says, I'm going to take this down. This is what God's been saying for a lot of us in this room. I'm going to take this down brick by brick, mortar by mortar. We're just going to pull this whole thing that you have constructed that does not resemble me, that does not resemble the truth of my word, that does not resemble my love. We're just going to, we're going to pull it down piece by piece. And then I'm going to walk with you. And we are going to, in a steady paced way, we're going to rebuild brick by brick, mortar by mortar, so that we can build a safe home because what have we were reminded in Ephesians, that verse that I've read multiple times, is that Christ will make a home in our hearts and our roots, his roots will grow down deep and then we will have the capacity, the power, the knowledge to know how great, how deep, how wide is his love for us. Then we will have the power to know and when we have the power to know, then we have the power to share that love with others. We don't have the power to know how great and how deep God's love is. We won't have the power to share that love with others. So this rebuilding of our home in Christ, you see, behaviors are going to change. Behaviors are going to need to change, but it first starts within our heart. You see, when we rebuild our home in Christ, we begin to relate to others differently. We find that we can love easier, more because we don't have a bunch of mess blocking our ability to do so. He says in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. His prayer to the Father, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So we have to practice abiding. We have to practice remaining in Christ. We have to practice rebuilding our homes with Christ, rebuilding belong. We have to practice belonging with Christ. Number two in in these practices that we need to develop, we practice self-awareness. We've been building self-awareness over the last several weeks as we've talked about ways that we can practice this on a regular basis. We've talked about naming our pain, identifying and addressing our negative emotions and experiences. We've talked about how acknowledging how the past impacts the present is so important. We have talked about grieving our losses. But you see, these are not one-time issues to address where you're like, well, I attended the service and got that sermon, or I watched it online when I missed it. Check that box, okay. I think everything's going to be better now. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. It's a starting of a process, but the things that we've talked about over the last six to seven weeks are practices to develop. I went through an intense period, I've talked about this time of my life, a decade actually, of intensive, focused work with counselors, with with, um, mentors, with myself, with my husband, like regularly working through my junk, my mess, my brokenness, my dysfunctionality. 
but I haven't arrived. I, ha- I have developed these practices that if I don't implement these practices of learning, again, of, of abiding and being with Christ, I'm not a nice person. If I haven't been with Christ enough, like you're going to be able to tell. Or if I'm not practicing self-awareness and I've got difficult things happening in my life because we all have trials happening on a regular basis, and I'm not practicing self-awareness of what's really happening in these situations and what should my response be and what are these things triggering, then I'm going to tell you that the, the, the weight and the pressure of those difficult trials I'm walking through is going to leak out on you and it's going to project out on you. The stress, stress management, of practicing stress management, if I'm not managing, I've realized over the last month that I'm kind of living outside the margins and I need to hone it back in and bring it back in. And part of the reason why I'm realizing I'm living outside of the margins is because my patience is lacking, my gentleness is lacking, and my joy is wavering a little bit. And I just feel busy and full of things to do and tasks. And God says, you're living outside of the margins. I've got to practice self-awareness to adjust and course correct. These are practices that we develop. So we name our pain. We identify and we address our negative emotions and experience. All of these things. It's a commitment to practice it. Because if we're going to love well in relationships with the others, we have to acknowledge the unhealthy ways we relate to others. We talked about this in the Emotionally Healthy Relationships class, which we will host again at another time. And you should take it. Because it's important. We really break down just how to literally identify how we relate to others. When you walk in a room, you're carrying something. You're carrying a persona. You're carrying a personality. You're carrying experiences. You're carrying all kinds of stuff when you walk into a room. And it determines how you connect and how you relate to other people. We develop unhealthy ways of relating to others based off of what was modeled for us when we were young and based off of our relationships with our caregivers. You see, history repeats itself if we don't break the cycle. So in other words, here's some examples. We avoid others if we don't agree with them. We experience pain in relationships, so we shut down from that person rather than address it. We build up a laundry list of offenses, and then we explode when we can no longer take it. When relationships become challenging or painful, we leave or we disappear. We'd use defense mechanisms of criticism, self-protection, sarcasm, humor, and more to keep people at a distance. We use the excuse of our personalities or challenges in life to refrain from building community. We pretend everything is okay when really we are harboring anger towards a person. We believe the worst about others and assume everyone is out to hurt us. You see, we can be completely committed to Christ, practicing, reading the scriptures, practicing prayer, even desire to stop relating in these ways. But if we have learned relational skills from our families growing up, we have to relearn how to do things God's way. You see, in scripture, there's some kind of principles for how we should relate to other people. Let's put those on the screen real quick. Just a quick breakdown. Peter Scazzaro kind of goes through and he summarizes this, but how can I be quick to hear and slow to speak? Gosh, I have a problem with that one. How can I be angry, not sin? I got a problem with that one too. How can I watch my heart or guard my heart above all else? Because the Bible says that everything flows out of the heart. How can I speak the truth in love? Anybody got a difficulty confronting in a healthy way? How can I be a true peacemaker? How can I mourn? How can I, bear, how can I not bear false witness against my labor, lie, pretense, masking? All of those are bearing false witness. How can I get rid of all bitterness, rage, and envy? You see, Scripture teaches us this is what we need to do to love others well, or this is how we need to be to love others well. But we don't always see a clear formula in Scripture of what we need to do or how we need to grow or how we, it can, something can help us grow to actually live out these principles. Our churches are really good at discipling and uh, giving generously and serving generously, but we're not so great at discipling how to manage conflict, how to handle communication well, how to speak the truth in love, how to pull off the pretense in the mask. My God, our churches are filled with masked people and 
full of pretense, so we're definitely not teaching people how I can not bear false witness against my neighbor because that's not just about lying. It is the power of Christ in us changing our hearts and experiencing his love, but it's also seeking to relearn Christ's way. And we have a lot of tools to do that. In our world, we have a lot of practical tools to learn how to handle conflict, to learn how to change the way that we relate to people, to learn our personalities better so that we can manage our personalities, the good and the bad of our personalities better. We have a lot of tools to do that. Building self-awareness is a huge tool, and we are committed at Essence Place to working together to learn how to do that. Because it's growing into an emotionally and a spiritually mature adult. Learning to love others well. So let's evaluate. Where are we in this? Peter Schizero offers a tool of assessment. So if you have your YouVersion Bible app, there should be a link in that um, section for today. It's been there. You might have already seen it. But there should be a link in that section for today that actually gives you an assessment to take. um, Where you can actually... Take an assessment, and it it works through um, just some scenarios for you of how you uh, behave and how you relate, and then it assesses whether you are an emotionally uh, emotional infant, an emotional child, an emotional adolescent, and emotional something other. I can't remember. Adults, adults. Um, feels great to take that. I remember when I first took it, I was definitely like in the infant children world. (laughs) That was over a decade though. So like I've taken it throughout the decade. I'm like, I'm getting better, (laughs) like slowly growing, but I'm going to pass out. I have a, um, just a little piece of paper here, handout that you can take and, um, you can use it as an assessment. You know, you can, you don't have to take the actual assessment or you can take the assessment, but Peter Scazzaro just summarizes kind of some of the um, behaviors and some of the ways that we uh, relate to others. And it can help us assess. So, for example, as emotional infants, we look for others to take care of us. Um, we have great difficulty entering the world of others. Um, we're driven by a need for instant gratification. Emotional children are easily hurt. They complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, become sarcastic when they don't get their way. Emotional adolescents tend to be defensive, deal with conflict poorly, often blaming, appeasing, going to a third party, pouting, or ignoring the issue entirely. Emotional adults, however, they're able to ask for what they need, what they want, what they prefer. They give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. They respect others without having to change them. Deeply in tune with their own emotional world and so forth. You can take that with you. I encourage you to take time to look at that. That's part, doing something, like looking through something like this and really taking it seriously and just laying down our pride and say, I just need to be honest with myself. How am I doing in these areas? That is building self-awareness. And you're like, oh, well, you know, that's not opening the Bible. No, but all of these things are things that we do that actually keep us from doing the things that the Bible says that we need to do or the ways that the Bible says that we need to live out. It's all integrated and it's all important and God uses all of it to transform our lives. And now before you get super discouraged by looking at all of this and you're like, oh my God, I'm checking off every single one. I can't decide if I'm an infant or an adolescent because I fit all of the categories. No. Before you get discouraged, may I remind you it's a journey. May I remind you that it's a process. It's not that the end is not so much the concern. The result is not so much the concern. It's the process that becomes the most important. The transformation journey that you're not going to figure it out all at once. You're not going to get better all at once. You're still going to have bad days. You're still going to struggle at times. But again, that goes back to that belonging with Christ. Because if you get to a place where you work so hard and you double down so hard to make sure that you, you kind of become this emotionally mature adult and you're loving others well, the problem is, is if you're doing that without a connection to Christ, who is your true belonging and your true identity and your true place of unconditional love, then when you have a bad day or a bad season or you're really struggling in certain areas and you just keep getting triggered over and over again and you're finding yourself dealing with conflict poorly and you're finding yourself snapping at other people and you're finding yourself avoiding when you really don't mean to, when you get to that place, then what are you going to go back to? 
I'm just messing up these tools and I'm just not, I'm not measuring up and, and I've done all this work walking around these walls. I thought that by now they would fall. Why can't I figure this out? If we're doing it without a plugged in connection of belonging to Christ Jesus, then when we're over here trying desperately to, to build this self-awareness and build these healthy tools so that we can care for others well, we have nothing to fall back on when we do make mistakes because we will make mistakes because we are imperfect people. Because we are real people and we experience real pain from others. Relational pain is inevitable. It's not an, an alien invasion that, oh my goodness, if I had pain in a relationship, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with that person. Ah, we're not okay. No, relational pain is part of being present and being in community with other people. So the most important piece to all of this is that we are plugged into our belonging in Christ so that when, we, when I have a bad day and I snap at my children and I go off on them and, and give a lecture, I'm really great at lectures. I got really good lectures, but they can get really long and just a little over the top and the kids probably don't even understand half of what I'm saying after like five minutes. I'm really working on shortening them things. When I go off because I've had a bad day or because I'm living outside the margin a little and I'm a little on edge, instead of feeling shame and just sitting in that, I'm like, I'm a terrible mother. You know, I've been working so hard and I just totally messed that up and I yelled at them and I screamed and, you know, I'm ruining them for life and I know that I'm ruining them for life because I'm in counseling classes that tell me that they're being ruined right now. Like these ages right now are the most important ages of their life and I'm affecting them completely. I can sit in the shame, which I have in the past, but that just creates a cyclical process of shame and a cyclical process of poor behavior. Or I can go back and say, you know what? At the end of the day, I mean, Christ redeems everything. And at the end of the day, my belonging is in you. And at the end of the day, God, you're going to restore me. And at the end of the day, you're going to give me the breath and the energy and the ability to remember what you've taught me and to remember what tools I have so I can access those things again. And I can remember that you can replenish me and restore me and I can find rest for my weary soul so that I can go back out there and I can go back to those children. I can sit with them. I can look at them in the eye and I can genuinely genuinely apologize and ask for forgiveness. And maybe that will be a moment where they learn God's grace like never before because their mama messed up, but their mama came back and asked for forgiveness and asked for grace. And they're seeing the very presence of grace in that moment. They're seeing the very presence of God in that moment. The belonging Christ is so important. Let me move on. Number, I could spend a lot of time in the self-awareness. Talk about differentiation of this idea of uh, differentiation just real quick it means we learn to be anchored in who we are and all of our glorious differences while being in groups with others so if you remember anything about differentiation is this idea of I can be in the presence of others I can be in relationship with others and I'm anchored in that in all of my differences with them while being with them I don't need to avoid or cut off relationships and I have a capacity to define my goals and my values based off of how God's made me and what I believe apart from the pressures of people around me. That's differentiation. That's part of building self-awareness. So we don't resent or resist or reject people and relationships simply because they're different than us or simply because they kind of trigger something in us. But again, that part of being differentiated is first anchored in Jesus Christ. If I'm going to be anchored in something, I don't want to be just anchored in my own great personality or in my own strengths or in my own gifts, because honestly, they're not enough. If I'm going to be anchored in something where I can be differentiated and be who I am, no matter what you say, no matter what you say, no matter what you pressure me to be or do, if I'm going to be who I am, you better believe I don't want it to be anchored in me, because I don't have enough to know what's best. I want to be anchored in Jesus Christ. Number three, I got to move on quickly. We practice the presence of other people and God. We practice the presence of other people. I want to teach you just one principle here, and then we're going to move on to number four because I'm running out of time. Martin Buber, a um, or it could be Bubber. I just feel weird saying that last name either way. But Martin, a philosopher, uh, introduced this concept called the I-Thou relationship. And Peter Scazzaro talks about this in the relation, or uh, in the book. And it, there's obviously all kinds of um, information out there on this theory. You can 
research it more. But it's two types of relationship, the I-thou relationship and the I-it relationship. You see, the I-thou relationship is one where it sees the other as inherently valuable and worthy. So it's this relationship of total engagement, um, an unconditional uh, presentness with other people. So in other words, it's bringing humanity back to the person and giving dignity back to the other person. How many know we need to give some humanity back to the people in our world? We need to give humanity back to to the people, not just in our families or those closest that we care the most about, but we need to give humanity even back to those that are in our workplaces our bosses, those that are in government, those that are in other um, areas that we may not understand or we disagree with their, their politics or we disagree with their belief systems or we disagree with their lifestyle, but we need to give humanity back. We need to give dignity back. That's an I-thou, that you are a person that's worthy of respect. You are a person that is valuable. You are a person that is created by God. I treat you as a thou. I see you as a thou. Because the opposite of that is the I-it relationship. And that I-it relationship is where we treat others literally as it. They are an object, a, a, a means to an end for us, a something to be used to satisfy our own needs, to satisfy our own preferences. When we treat other people or we have relationships where it's I or it, I want them in my life because I want something from them. I engage with them because I want something from them. And as soon as they show me that I might not be able to pull that from them, I cut it off and I disconnect. So we may unintentionally or intentionally relate to others in this way, but either way it's harmful and it removes a person's value. So if we're unintentionally relating to people in this way, we really, again, it goes back to that self-awareness. We have to stop. We have to consider, is this how I'm relating to other people? I know I've been guilty and we're all guilty of that. And again, that's because it's a practice. It's a practice of awareness. But you see, he, Martin also related this concept to God and most central to God because he described God as the eternal thou, realizing that's how God relates to us. God relates to us with this engaged, constant presentness, always present always treating us as the one that is most valuable and is most worthy, his created ones. And yet there are times where we treat God in a relationship as an eye in it because we treat God as a means to an end. And when he doesn't give us what we want and when he doesn't show up the way that we need him to, then we start avoiding and we start cutting off. We start masking and we start pretending. God sees us as a thou but we see God as a means to an end. So there's this place, again, belonging Christ, that we can come to a place of mutuality with God. But if I can just accept the way that God sees me as valuable and as worthy, as inherently good because I am his created one, then I can start to shift and change my perspective of the way that I view him and the way that I relate to him. And again, I can guarantee you that when we start to get that first relationship right and healthy and whole, then a lot of our other difficulties and other relationships start to come together and start to fall into place. We learn how to love others better when we practice the presence of other people, of being present, being engaged, treating them as worthy and valuable. But we have to do that with God as well first. Number four, and this is the final one, and Abby, you can come back to the, the keyboard. Practice true peace, not false peace. You see, when a person is unable to cross the divide and unable to be present with others and see others as a thou rather than an it, then we become, it becomes difficult to address conflict. It becomes difficult to to address or confront, to, to share truth. It becomes difficult to just even be who you are in relationships. You begin again, we mask, we pretend. It's exhausting though. And we're either going to cut off relationships or we're gonna be present in relationships where we are not even who we really are. We mask, we pretend, and that is exhausting. And in the end, whether you're cutting people off or whether you're keeping people close, but you're pretending to be somebody you're not, it's an isolating world because you're not truly actually loving others well and not truly being in community, true, authentic community. 
with other people. It's the same way with God. And so we practice this idea of false peace instead of having true peace, which means we're gonna have to deal with our stuff, but that also means we're gonna have to confront some things with other people when our relationships, when things happen, that relational pain happens. We're gonna have to be willing to speak the truth in love. We're gonna have to learn how to do that because most of us don't naturally know how to do that. That's part of what the Emotionally Healthy Relationships class was. We broke down conflict cycles and broke down conflict management. Like how do we be in relationship with other people and understand the conflict that's happening and the pain that's happening with other people. Christians are so poor at conflict because we misrepresent scriptures that talk about peace. We think, okay, if at all possible, be at peace with everyone. Blessed are the peacemakers. But that's false peace if we're never addressing our needs, if we're never communicating what we need, or if we're never communicating that someone has crossed a boundary with us. If we're never communicating, again, speaking the truth in love, that's false peace. That's not true peace. And we do the same thing with God. We practice false peace with God rather than true peace. We keep God at just a little bit of a distance because we don't really trust him. And again, we don't have this good view of him. And so we keep him just a little bit at a distance and we kind of pretend and mask that we're okay. Thinking and forgetting that God sees everything and that God knows everything. And all he's doing, even though he sees everything and he knows everything, he's actually drawing us in. He's drawing us close and we're just kind of keeping him at a distance and saying, I really don't want to address that thing in my life. I really don't want to go back to that painful place in my life. I don't really want, I don't trust that God will receive that well. I'm just gonna keep him here at a distance. And then we think I'm okay. And we put on the Christian smiling face. And again, we bear the name of Christian, but because we're not actually practicing true peace with God, we're practicing false peace with God. We end up projecting and leaking out the false peace that's actually present between God and I, or God and me, or God and us. And then we, we, we come home and we don't understand, like, man, why, like, that went sour, that went bad, that relationship's not good, why, this is, you know, and it's frustrating and it's difficult and we want to be, we want to love others better. We desperately, most of us genuinely want to love others better. And so we might set out to learn how to deal with conflict well. We, we say, okay, I need to have I statements and, you know, I need to like share my feelings, but I need to do it in a way I don't say you and I don't point fingers and I, you know, I, I approach it in a healthy way. But at the end of the day, I truly believe that a lot of it comes back to this like this relationship with God. We're treating God as I and it. We're not trusting God. We're not giving him our whole heart because we don't trust that he can actually take our whole heart. We don't believe that he's actually trustworthy because someone or something along the way created this framework that told us, ah, this, this God, this, this being, this, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I believe that God has exists, but I'm just, I'm not really sure that I can trust him. And we keep him at a distance. But that false peace with God and that false belonging, especially if we're gonna walk and we're gonna claim to be Christian, is leaking out everywhere we go. So two things, number one, if we're claiming to be a follower of Christ, we gotta deal with that connection with Christ. We gotta deal with our belonging in Christ. We gotta start working to reframe and reshape who God is, that he is safe and he is good and he is trustworthy. And that takes time to rebuild that. But on the other hand, if we have no true belonging with Christ and we're not even willing to call ourselves Christian because we don't wanna identify with that, because honestly, you know, in some ways it's not the best name to identify these days at times. And there's just kind of this complete gap. It's, you know, avoidance and cutoff. But there's yet this deep desire within us and a longing. We keep God at a distance, either here in this category where, again, we're calling ourselves Christian. We're acting like we're Christians. We're serving like we're Christians. We're going to church like we're Christians. We're probably even reading our Bibles like we're Christians. But God's still kind of like separate and distance or we're over here we're like I'm not even connected I there's no belonging I'm not connected I don't want to call myself Christian in either of those two categories it becomes difficult to love others well but in either of those two categories it creates isolation and in either of those two categories God so deeply desires for us to see him for who he is 
but it requires us being willing to take that step of saying, you know what? I'm gonna deal with all of this stuff and all of this framework that's been present for me. And it just starts with an acknowledgement that can't, God, can I go on a journey to create safety with you? Can I go on a journey that where it would actually be possible for there to be true peace in this relationship? Not where I'm pretending anymore for other people, not where I'm claiming to be something I'm not, but true peace. I truly believe that a lot of the pain and the heartache in church that is present is truly us as Christians masking and pretending and not dealing with the stuff beneath the surface and allowing God to truly heal us. It's because we have these just broken, again, broken homes that we're trying to have Christ live in. But man, they're broken. The structure is poor. They don't resemble Jesus. They don't resemble the gospel the way that Jesus lived. They don't resemble his love. They don't resemble his peace. There is such a deep passion within my heart and a deep passion within the Essence Place community to seek out those that have such broken paths to God, that believe that God hates them, that believe that God is angry with them, that believes that God has left them, that believe that God has, has turned his back on them because at some point they felt they weren't good enough or others told them they weren't good enough or that worse, the church and other Christians told them they weren't good enough. There is such a deep passion family, would you hear my heart this morning? And if I could somehow, I'm telling you what God wants you to know this morning is that he loves you deeply. And I know that it's not enough to say the Bible said so. Why does God love me? How does God love me? Well, the Bible says he does. It's just, that's not enough anymore. We got to experience the love of Christ and one of the ways I believe truly because Jesus said it here, he said, he said, then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. And I am convinced that we can no longer say the Bible said so, the Bible told me so, Jesus loves me, this I know. It's not enough anymore. Because Jesus says right here in his prayer to the Father, he's begging the Father, he's pleading with the Father, he's, he's, he's acknowledging the need that's present. He sees the, the, the beginning and he sees the end and he's going to know the Bible, the scriptures as powerful and as true and as inspiring and as infallible maybe as they can be. He said right here, the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me so that they may be in complete unity. They, he and God's in complete unity, but he's asking us in this prayer, he's calling, it's a calling to us to be in complete unity with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This beautiful marriage that's between the three of them, this beautiful sacredness and unity that's between the three of them. And Jesus over and over again is calling us to be in that same unity and that same sacredness that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in. And then he says, they will know. By the way that you follow me, by the way that you share my love, you are my love. I don't wanna dwell on this, but I need you to know <laughs> that I believe that God wants you to know that he desperately loves you. And you've read the Bible, and you've read the scriptures, and you've been to church and you know the truth. It's a knowledge right now, but he is wanting you to experience his love, to really experience his love. And unfortunately you've been surrounded maybe at times by people and you, that claimed to carry the name of Christ and you couldn't experience his love through those relationships. But my hope and my prayer, Pastor Brad's hope and prayer and the people here is that this is a place where we can experience the love of Christ. This is a place where maybe for the first time you can see, wow, God really does love me. If that's what God's love looks like. 
and we're not gonna get it all right. We're gonna mess it up sometimes because we're still human and we're still imperfect. But the hope is that there is this constant, regular, in the process, striving to be God's love. You close your eyes with me and I'm gonna end, I need to end. I'm not sure honestly how to end this completely. I struggled even in preparing for it. Like, how do you, how do you end this? But I know that I wanna do, I wanna, I know that I wanna pray for you. And so I'm gonna ask you to take a step of faith and I want everybody's eyes closed. Cause I'm gonna ask you to take a risk. Cause I wanna pray for you this morning. And I wanna ask you a couple questions. We are promised that Christ will make his home in our heart and that our roots will grow down deep and that we will know the power of God's love. But my question this morning is, do you know the power of God's love for you? I'm not really asking if you're a Christian and I'm not asking if you've made a decision to belong to Christ because that's really important. I think it's important to make a, a decision, kind of a moment, a defining moment where you make a choice to follow Christ and to belong to Christ and you start on that journey. But that's not what I'm asking this morning. I'm asking Do you know the power of God's love for you? And in that, I'm also asking, do you believe that he delights in you? That as I prayed earlier, that he sings over you, that he actually, he delights in you. He takes pride in his creation, not based off of what you do, not based off of who you are, but just you, simply you. Do you believe that God loves you, do you know the power of that love? Or is the home faulty and broken? Sometimes it feels like we're crawling to Jesus because we're trying to swim through our brokenness. Like the woman with the issue of blood that literally crawled through the crowds to get to Jesus. To see him, to touch him, without all of the other opinions and without all of the views. I know I'm going long this, this morning and I, I am gonna, I'm gonna pray and end, but if that is you, I ask you, do you know the power of God's love? And if there is even a hesitancy in you, an uncertainty, could you acknowledge that by just a simple raise of your hand? Because I wanna pray with you. And I think there is something to like physical movement, physical acknowledging Number one, what it tells me is that I'm gonna keep praying for you. And what it tells Pastor Brad is that we're gonna keep praying for you and that we're present here and that we're engaged with your journey and we're engaged with where, you at, where you're at and what you're believing about God, that you're not just a body that's sitting in this room. But the second thing that it does is that it's just this like moment where you're willing to take a step of faith that says, okay, I'm gonna respond. I'm gonna make a movement. I'm not gonna stay hidden inside of myself anymore. I'm not gonna, for a moment, I'm gonna pull the pretense off because everybody else around me may believe that I am just totally fine and believe God loves me and I act like it and I am it, but I'm gonna pull it aside. So if that's you this morning, I want to pray for you and I think it's important to make that step. Do you truly know the power of God's love for you? how wide the depth. You can put your hand down. And then the second question that I have is how's your home? Not your physical home, the home that Christ is dwelling in. How's your home? Is your home faulty? Is the structure poor? Do you know if it needs to come down or not? So if you're in here this morning and you recognize, you know what? I know God loves me, but man, this home that I'm in and that I've been in, I'm just realizing it's the structure's a little poor, the foundation's a little weak, and there's some restructuring that needs to be done. I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand, and again, the reason I'm asking for that is first, the physical response is important, but the other piece is again, so that we can pray for you, so that we can engage with you, so that again, we can be on this journey with you, because if you're gonna rebuild your home, With Jesus, you're gonna need people around you that are supporting you in that, that are helping you rebuild that home. So would you raise your hand this morning? Thank you.
We're going to pray. Dear God, I could have all the right words. Ask all the right questions. Have just the perfect response. But it's just not enough. And so God, my prayer this morning, I don't really have a perfect, eloquent prayer. But God, my heart this morning, my prayer this morning is, God, would you pour your love? Would this be a starting place, a moment? The people that have raised their hands and maybe even those that it's they're sensing in their heart, but they're just not willing yet to take that step of faith. God, would you allow this to be a starting point, God, where you begin to rebuild that love connection, oh God, where you begin to reveal yourself for who you are, where you begin to tear down the structure that has been built, the framework that has been built, where you begin to tear down the the broken views and tear down the opinions of others, and you begin to reform a healthy house for you to dwell in where you begin to reform a healthy and whole path to your heart, oh God. Father, would you share your love? God, Christ will make a home in our hearts and our roots will grow down deep and we will have the power to know, the knowledge to know how great, how wide, how deep is your love for us. May we know your love this morning. And God, as a community, may we hold ourselves accountable and hold each other accountable to love others well, to address our own brokenness so that we have the ability to love others, to be in relationship with others as I and thou. May even this week, as we walk into our different worlds, Lord, and responsibilities, Father. Would you challenge us? Would you hold us accountable? When we have moments where we are we are not carrying your love, may instead of ignoring it or carrying shame in it, may we just allow it to cause us time to stop and to, with you, reflect what's happening, what's going on. As a community, would you challenge us to not stay isolated in ourselves, but to reach out to each other, realizing that we're all on a journey and it's different, but there's also similarities and we can really encourage one another. Father, we just pray for your grace, your mercy upon us, Father. Would you bless them? Would you keep them? Father, would you allow your love to dwell deep within them? In your name we pray, amen.